Hello, beautiful people. You're listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food and Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman. And oh my goodness, I am so incredibly excited about the guests we have here today, one of whom I met a week ago when she had a fancy new medal around her neck uh, as she won Best Chef Southeast, I believe it was. Yes. Um, they are the partners... That's the mm-hmm. correct, right, for, correct yeah. for the gray and the incredibly exciting new uh, gray market in Savannah, Georgia, and soon to be co-authors of a book that we are going to talk all about. Welcome, Mishama Bailey and John Morisano to the show. Thank you. Thank Happy you. to be here. Yay. Uh, Yay. How's, uh, I have 10,000 things I want to ask you to start off, but we were just right before we started rolling talking about um, our dogs because I did have a greyhound for a long time and uh, y- y'all recently opened up the grey market and you have greyhounds all over the place and <laughs> on everything. So um, can you talk about the, the market and what was behind opening that? So, well, the, the, the name The Grey comes mm-hmm. from the fact that um, our original restaurant is in a formerly, uh, a former a Greyhound bus terminal. And so we came up with that name very late one night over a lot of wine. We just hemming and hawing and decided we would call it The Grey. The Grey Market is an offshoot of that. Um, southern lunch counter meets New York City bodega in a kind of a small space and, you know, just a really accessible version of what we do at the Gray. And this is kind of a, a story of, uh, you said uh, New York City meets the South. You are a New York City girl. I am. I was born in the Bronx and um, pretty much raised in Queens, lived in Savannah for a short period of time. But the funny thing about me living in Savannah is that you know, John didn't know that when I met him, so it was sort of like this kismet. That kind was of weird. Like, it was just, it was just straight up weird. Yeah. yeah. My parents actually got married. They didn't get married until after they had their third child, and they got married right across the street from where the gray is located oh at the courthouse. Yeah. It seems like, I want to talk about, you were saying we came up with this over wine one night. How did the we come together? <sighs> That's a long story. We got time. It's not that long of a story. <laughs> Gabriel <laughs> Hamilton. That's it. Okay. Um, no, when I was um, so, I ended up in Savannah through some circumstances of buying a home, breaking up with a business partner in New York City, and deciding in my mid forties to get in the restaurant business. Oh, that's the same decision. It was totally good. I believe um, my <laughs> wife looked at me and said, "You've lost your fucking mind." It was she, and she meant it, and yeah. I kind of did. Had and you? I. Th- you know, I, well, in retrospect, maybe not. But at that time, I think <laughs> that everyone was firmly convinced that I had. Um, yeah, because I had no background in restaurants. I've had almost every job, you know, from the time I'm 11 years old until now. And I've never once worked in a restaurant before the gray. You the worked fir- in a Carvel, though. I did. I did. <laughs> Soft serve ice cream. How many so- fudgy the whales Fudgy the whales, uh, <laughs> the flying saucers, did lots of those. Um, but... The first night on the floor in the gray, the night we opened, was my first restaurant job, job ever. And I remember serving, doing wine service and, like, shaking so much that I spilled the wine all over our guests. Oh, my goodness. Um, but so I, and I decided to build this restaurant in this bus terminal. And everybody that was involved in the project said, you need a chef because we have to build a kitchen. And so what, is, what are you going to cook here? And I said, well, we'll cook whatever the, the person that I find cooks. And they're like, that's not really a good answer when you're kind of spending a lot of money building a kitchen. So they sent me on a hunt for um, a chef. And in their minds, you know, I was going out to hire a chef. And in my mind, from the very first day, I'm like, okay, I don't know anything about the restaurant business. I know a lot about businesses, but I don't know anything about food. I don't know anything about a commercial kitchen. I know how to cook mediocre pasta. That's about (laughs) the extent of it. And so in my mind, I was always on the look for a business partner, you know, someone that would buy in fully to what I was doing, someone that I would never have to have the conversation about, are you going to be here next year? Like someone who really wanted to build a business. And I met a lot of people, and some of them were really good cooks, but none of them, most of them were men. Most of them were sort of white. Most of them had that kind of, (laughs) had that kind of testosterone that you, that I expected to find from cooks and chefs. And I was not that enamored with any of those folks, nice guys. And I stalked Gabrielle Hamilton after reading her book, Blood, Bones, and Butter, um, and, you know, just sort of 
emailed her until she returned my email. <laughs> just persistence. Yeah, goes I dropped a handwritten letter off at her restaurant one afternoon. Like really creepy, stalkery stuff. Oh like I was, I was on it. And Gabrielle one day just returned my phone call and said, "Sure, come down and prune and meet." And as we talked, she said, "You know." I kind of agree with your wife. I think you've lost your mind, but I want to think about it a little bit because I have a woman who works here, and she mentioned Mishama Belly. And you were working there at the time. I was. She was the Sioux, and um, and she said she really got no place left to go at Prune. You know, I have yeah. a chef de cuisine. I'm the executive chef. It's a 35 seat space. I want to think about it for a bit, and if I kind of come to the conclusion that you're crazy more in a good way than a bad way, I'm going to introduce the two of you, and she did. And Ultimately. how and how did she present this to you? Well, it was right after she came back from the Southern Foodways um, Alliance, I like the fall yeah. symposium. I think it was maybe 2014 or something 13, like that, yeah. or 13. Might yeah, have been. We opened in 14. Oh yeah, so 2013. Um, it was right after she came back, and she we just got into this conversation about there not being a lot of representation in in the food community with black chefs, especially not a lot of women chefs. So we just started talking about um, why, why, why I thought that was the case. And I just figured like there was not a lot of financial backing for people like that or people like me, um, hard to find business partners to go into this venture with. Um, a lot of people aren't in that circle are, are going through that culinary training with, that it takes to meet those types of people to put you as an executive chef in this restaurant or that restaurant. <clears throat> so the conversation started there. And then she mentioned Jono and mentioned that there was someone in Savannah that was looking for a chef to open up a restaurant. And I just thought, I was just sort of like, this is really weird. Like, nothing, like I thought it was a weird opportunity. I thought it was a weird city, um, just really off the radar. But I lived there when I was little, and you know I remember that city, and I wanted to move back to the South. And my mother was raised an hour and a half away from there. And at that time, they were living in Augusta, Georgia, which is just not too far away from there either. So I thought, eh, maybe. And then I was wondering, like, what type of person Jono was. Like, was he a Southerner? Was, you know, did he live down there all his life? Trying to get an understanding of what his perspective was, because she mentioned that he was interested in a woman, and he was also interested in a black chef. And I thought, like, my antennas went up when that someone from the South. Yeah, because does that give you hope or give you pause when you hear that? It gave me pause at first, because it was right around the time that... um, you know, Paula Deen's empire completely yep. blew up, and it was a lot of talk about racism in the South, so it totally gave me pause. And then when I realized that he was from New York, I thought, well, all right, I'll take a meeting with this person. I wasn't sure if it was something that I was going to want to engage in, but I thought, well, why not just meet this person? So, and also when she was telling me, two of my line cooks were like listening to the entire conversation. <laughs> so as soon as she left the room, they were like, okay, what are you going to do? Yeah. You should do it. You should do it. So um, I waited a few days. I thought about it and I just emailed her to told her to make the meet, uh, set the meeting and she did. It's, I mean, I always say to people, take the meeting. Yeah. You, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, what's the worst thing? So where did the two of you go? How did, where did this So happen? I just want to say like, I, 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 even though we've, either told this story or have heard this story a lot, it's like I I don't think I ever really appreciated how close together it was that you and Gabrielle were having this conversation and then I kind of strolled into Gabrielle's restaurant one morning and said that I was looking for a business partner and if she was an aspirational African-American female, that would be like a home run. And so, Gabrielle, I remember Gabrielle looked at me and she's like, don't you just want somebody you can cook? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, that too. Yeah. But I mean, it's a weird, it was, I don't, yeah, it just seems like it was very close together that these things happen very sort of kismity. I can understand apprehension, though, because you don't want to be sort of, a, oh, here's the face, you know, the, exactly. like, problem solved. Yeah. Look, exactly. you know. yeah, but I mean, the, the, the substance behind the whole thing yeah. was I had started enough businesses in my life that I knew that whoever my counterpart was going to be, if we were going to build something that was, egalitarian and collaborative and equitable, that person had to be as far from me 
as possible. And when you look at Savannah, it's majority black city. You know, it's like 45 or 47 percent white and then 52 or 53 percent black. And I always, like from the moment I conceived being in the restaurant business, like I wanted to be the restaurant that everybody in town was Mm -hmm. like, oh, let's meet over there. And the only way I could see doing that is put a partnership together that represented the whole community and not just 47% of the community. So there was a business model behind it. It mm-hmm. wasn't about you know putting a face out there. It was about building a partnership that was representative of the community. And did either one of you have a restaurant in mind where this was modeled, where you had seen people coming together in in a community that was in a, a restaurant that was a you know pretty fine dining kind of place that was kind of central in a community like that, where it had people of all different backgrounds uh, coming together? Did this exist that you'd seen? Um. Maybe something like Marcus Samuelson's place up in Harlem, Red Rooster. I think that's sort of a place where you can see a lot of different um, types of people eating Mm -hmm. um, together and and listening to music and stuff like that. I can't think of a place, um, sort of a fine dining chef in the South. Mm -hmm. I mean, in Savannah, I can't think of a place like that. I had, like, my wife and I had one of the greatest afternoons of our life. It was very drunk afternoon as well. <laughs> Some of them are. At, at Galatoire's on a Friday. Oh, okay. Galatoire's Friday lunch is my religion. It's one I, of the best things ever. I just spent good, fr- I spend every good Friday there. Yeah, I'm and jealous. I've, <laughs> I've never pulled the double where you keep the table until dinner no. time. That we is, were in the absinthe house by about 5.30. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And everybody's in the streets with their go cups. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I actually, I, I just love that you just said Galatoire's because that is that is such a heavenly place to me, uh, to me, and the fact that we really for years and years have spent every single Good Friday there, and we but um, and other Fridays too. Yeah, and so that yeah. experience that Friday afternoon, and for <coughs> people who don't know, it's like you get there for Bloody Marys at eleven, uh, you stand <laughs> upstairs until they open the dining room, right. and then it's just people flip from table to table to table and have this incredibly social experience around food and wine. And you end up drinking way, way too oh much. Um, but Sometimes your was, coffee's on fire yeah. at the end of the meal. But that was the that afternoon was sort of like something where it, it coalesced for me that, that and you know that it, it's Galatoire's is fancy. You know, so mm-hmm. Friday afternoon lunch is is fancy, but it was you know there was all of New Orleans was there, yeah. or the, at least that's how it felt to two outsiders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean I love that you sort of. You're both talking about the spirit of of the place that you wanted to have it. So at this initial meeting, like I'm imagining like a blind date kind of thing, like set up by a friend Mm kind of thing. And you walk in and I don't know, how how did you feel in in that moment when you lay eyes on each other? Does does it take a moment? Is there chemistry? How how does this play out? I pictured someone completely different. Mm Um, when when I walked into the National Arts Club. <laughs> what? Okay. Wait, is that... Uh, remind me which one that is. Tano lives in a museum. Okay. <laughs> it's... Um, it's 20th Street. You know the players and the knack? They're right next door to each other. I do not. I'm, not a, I'm <laughs> not a fancy enough to be going there. Um, I always feel like riffraff whenever I get an invitation to one of these like special club places. I got yeah. in trouble at the university club for having my phone now, out. No, the, na- the National Arts Club really is about artists. So it's like it's the egalitarian right. New York City club. It's like we, okay. su- we really support struggling artists. So that's how I got involved in it originally. <laughs> So you walk in there. I walk into the museum. (laughs) (laughs) Enough with the museum. And um, he's he's sort of you know I I get I call him down or they buzz me in or whatever, and he comes down the stairs and I thought he just looked very ordinary, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't that intent. I wasn't. I was no longer intimidated. Mm -hmm. I think before I met him, I was I had all these preconceived notions in my mind that. He was, you know, this rich person that was a little bit removed from whatever, mm-hmm. and I just playing had, restaurant, maybe. Right? Yeah, well, just, there was a lot of suspicion sort of about like, that. Yeah. yeah, sort of just all these things in my head, and then I met him, and he was just very nice, mm-hmm. um, and just, and I think he was just as nervous as I was. Yeah. Oh so. God. 
Yeah, I had to put my jacket on because I had sweat so much under my arms <laughs> that I had to cover it up. Yeah. Oh, no. I've been there. I'm an anxious yeah. person, so yeah. believe me, I know this one. Your jacket today is lovely, oh, by the thank way. thank you so much. Like, I wear it all the time, Michelle, will tell you. <laughs> it's my favorite jacket. It's important to have a uniform. Uh-huh. Uh, but then, you, so you already have the space by this point. Yeah. So <clears throat> I I really believe in, in spaces and the reclamation of spaces. So, uh, you know, I, people have maybe heard this podcast before I talk about the fact that when I met my husband, I knew that he owned a, a church in upstate New York and I didn't know until we were dating just a couple weeks and I went up there like, it's a real church and <laughs> Gothic stone deconsecrated Episcopal church from the 1860s. And, um, and you live there. Yeah. So it's, it's turned into a house. We just, uh, it, it's, it's just a really special place. But when you take over a historic space like that or, like a bus station, which had been segregated, mm-hmm. and you take on the cultural and emotional and mm-hmm, spiritual mm-hmm. weight of of a space. Um, so maybe some people are sensitive to that, and some people are not. But I get the sense that both of you feel the weight of the architecture and the history and the meaning of this place. Totally, yeah. totally. When I think the thing that sealed the deal for me, for me personally, because it's a, it was a lot. It was this person that I didn't know. I was moving to a city that I hadn't known for tw- over 20 years. Yeah. And a complicated city. A complicated yeah. city. I was a sous chef mm-hmm. at a 35-seat restaurant. Uh, a fantastic <laughs> restaurant. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, no, no, no. It's no, it's no, you know, it's no Grace papaya or anything. <laughs> but, I, but it was really at, you know, I was really diving into the deep end of the pool. Yeah. And here it is, this person who was very, you know, almost pushy, right? Mm-hmm. Like very sort of like he knew what he it's wanted. The New York City, anyway. right? He knew <laughs> what he wanted, and and he saw a lot of that in me, and mm-hmm. he was going to, we were going to make a decision, mm-hmm. and I wasn't as sure until I walked into that space, and when I walked into that space. And I saw the plans before, and I saw it was a segregated bus station, and you know we're talking about the colored waiting area and mm-hmm. the main dining area and the women's um, parlor that was above the entire colored waiting area, the bathrooms and everything. Um, white women had this entire floor to sort mm-hmm. of like prepare themselves for their bus ride, and <laughs> or whatever. And um, I just wanted to get down there and see it. And as soon as I yeah. walked in a space, it was warm. I could hear laughter, like. It was just such a great place. It was such a special place. And that was that was when I didn't look back. Yeah. Did, did it just speak to you? How did you end up getting this place? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> it took a long time. I tried to get it for, it took about a year um, to actually acquire the space. And when I walked in it the first time, it was actually in worship and even when Mashama saw it, and it was still bad at that point. But I just noticed, like, it was covered in, like, junk. Like, it, there was piles and piles of junk everywhere, and there was dust, and there was, like, verm, you know, like, just, it mm. had been abandoned, you know, for 12 years so in the Deep South. So there was nothing yeah. that had been done to it. It was just a bus mm, station, and then yeah. it was... And, but I, no, no, no. It was a couple of things since um, it was a bus station, but for 12 years between... Yeah, it had been ba- abandoned for a dozen years. Um, wow. Yeah, so and like literally just left to rot in a lot of ways. And but when you kind of looked past the dirt, you could see <laughs> sort of the curves of the Art Deco yeah. design of that era because it was built in 38. And I just saw this curved wall and these like mm-hmm. sort of tracking chrome strips that highlighted some of the the architecture in the walls. And I was like there's no other building like this in Savannah. And you know, the weight of, or or the idea of it having been a, segre- you know, a Jim Crow era building mm-hmm. that was clearly in jeopardy of maybe falling down or maybe just being raised. Mm-hmm. I was like, we should take a run at this building and see if we could get it. And it took a year. And the day, and I, I think subconsciously, I always kind of wanted to be in the restaurant business because I truly love food and wine. And contrary to some of the suspicions about what I was up to. Like, I wanted to be the restaurateur. I wanted to be on the floor every night. I wanted to be with the guests. I wanted to run the space. And so the day after I closed, I was just walking around, and I'm like, you know what? I really think that this would be an amazing restaurant. And I would be remiss if I didn't say, in its last iteration, um, right before it closed for that 12 years, it was a restaurant called Cafe Metropole, 
that was just like I'd never been there, but like from my understanding, kind of like a little Moroccan flavor profiled sandwiches and salad place that was really super casual. But any Savannian I've ever met always talked so highly about it. And so I was like, all right, well, if it worked as that, we can probably, or we'll take a shot at making it work at something else. So there's hospitality moats floating through the totally. air yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And so you come into this space and you have the plan and all this. I, maybe this is silly of me, but being a person who, you know, lives in a church and, and, and the rectory next door, we kind of ritualized what we did to make the buildings our, our own. I mean, I got married on the altar of, of that church and communed with the spirits of it beforehand because people had been, you know, baptized, buried, married, all of the things in there. So many things that happen in that bus station. Um, did you do anything to sort of ritualize your relationship with it or uh, you know commune with with the past of it or or just kind of get a mop and start scrubbing or well i think what we did in the back in the in the colored waiting room yeah um and I mean, the outside the restrooms do you still like, have the language in there of that um most of it the only yeah. thing we don't have is colored waiting room we just have waiting room mm-hmm. but um one of the so we 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 talked a long time about how we would um, acknowledge yeah. this segregated space, right? Mm-hmm. And and I used to go in the building and think about like, what did people used to do in here? And you know, they were always going somewhere, mm-hmm. right? They were either going somewhere or returning from somewhere, right? And so, for the period it was open, you know, they were going to visit friends, they were going to visit family, they were going to boot camp, you know, they mm-hmm. were going to a lot. You know, there's so much military down in the south. Um, they were on their way for funerals, right? And so it was really a communal space. And then, and I and I think Mishama should talk about that moment that she came into the building because, you know, I can't connect with what was the colored waiting room and the, the bathrooms mm-hmm. in a way other than from like a historical perspective mm-hmm. and sort of feeling like the building was both hopeful and really dark, right? Yeah. It had this really dark history. Um, and how we were going to acknowledge that is something we thought long and hard about, yeah. and we ended up getting a series of photographs done by a local photographer who came to New York to have his career with like Time Life, I think, a guy named Jerry Harris. But he had these um, original um, photos that he took at First African Baptist Church a couple of blocks away from the Gray when this really famous preacher from the 70s, James Cleveland, who was also a Grammy-winning um, gospel artist, um, came to preach there and sing there, and he had like these twelve amazing prints, <laughs> and so we just hung them around that space with no other acknowledgement other than you know this is one snapshot you know quite literally of black life in Savannah you know at some period in time when this building was alive and well, and I think it's been appropriate, yeah. you know. Yeah, so I guess what um, John was referring to is that. One of the big draws for me when we were talking about me actually visiting the space was seeing the colored waiting area. And you look at blueprints and everything looks either really small or really huge. Mm -hmm. There's not, I don't really understand how that works necessarily. So, um... When I did go down in the spa- go down to Savannah and stand in the space um, for the first time, I stood in that area for a long time, and just trying to wrap my head around what it would feel like. How would I get into the building? What it would feel like if I had to sit in this? It was a cramped space. It's just, it's where the service station is, and where two the bathrooms are on the first floor. And the bathrooms are a decent size, but the space itself is cramped in comparison to the rest of the building. And you know, it's probably you know maybe twenty to fifty people there waiting for a bus all or something like that, yeah. all jammed in this space. And it was hot. And I guess the claim to fame, one of the big advertisements for the bus station was that it was air conditioned one of the first air-conditioned bus stations in the, in the country. But can you imagine that area being in a, in a building that isn't air-conditioned in the South? Um, so I just sort of sat in that moment for a little bit and just um, paid respect, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And I just felt awkward and out of place because it was, from my point of view, like we were standing there and we were walking through and we both walked into that space together. Mm-hmm. And... I knew then that Misham was having some kind of moment, and so I literally went back to where the white people stayed and yeah. just let her like have this moment, and I witnessed it, and it was, 
And I'm sure I over-dramatize it because I do that a lot in my yeah, head. Yeah, like, I don't even remember No, you. I do, but I do. And I just, I remember you just being really, really quiet. And, you know, when you're kind of in this awkward phase of relationship, it's yeah. like silence. It's like, oh, I don't know. Does she hate me? Yeah. Wait, you know, what is, it? Yeah. You, is this moving forward? I don't know. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I think it's important. <laughs> I know, and then after that, he was like, do you want to do this? Do you want to live? Do you want to move to Savannah? And I was like, oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. that, <laughs> that was the pushy part. <laughs> I, but, I mean, I think it's important, though, to acknowledge the, the awkwardness that, that happens in there and the fact that you're doing something new and you have a new kind of partnership in there. And then comes the, there is the tension between being New Yorkers who are in the South. I, I was raised in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever picks up on that or whatever. I, you know, I mention it and, and uh, just because I've lived in New York just about half my life mm-hmm. uh, now at this point. But it's funny, like when I, uh, it's always funny to whom you are too Southern and not Southern enough. Right. I, I went to college in Baltimore and they immediately, like when I lived in Northern Kentucky, they're like, well, you're not from, you know, Southern Kentucky. And Ohio was like, well, you're not from Ohio and I go to school in Baltimore like oh you southerner you whatever <laughs> I married into a southern family for whom I am never going to be southern enough they're all in North Carolina you're both New Yorkers with and you have some southern ties Michelle met like and you're minor be... in southern Italy oh. that's the closest <laughs> I get hey right. there's yeah. south all over the place yeah. so you're coming together on what the the food is going to be and balancing who you are the expectation of place and the fact that you had a fair amount of time in France as right. well. So can you talk about the the sort of coming together of the identity of the food that it was gonna be there? That was um that was a journey. That's the hardest <laughs> yeah. part. I think that was the it hardest part. It was the hardest part because that was the, what we had to um really agree on sort of mm-hmm. it was all sort of laid out and now we're talking about the food so now this is my you know this yeah. is where I start to insert my voice and the thing that I like to emphasize that I was a sous chef coming into this restaurant because sous chefs you know they're they're just figuring out they're a sous chef for a reason they're just figuring out who they are as cooks who they are as leaders mm-hmm. um if they are if they are leaders, if they still want to cook, you kind of get to that point in your career and that's when you make that decision to go forward. So I think that um, for for me, what was important before I actually relocated to Savannah was to take a trip to the down, down, drive down south. So I stopped in Jackson, Mississippi. I stopped in New Orleans for a little while, stopped in um, North Carolina, stopped in Atlanta, and just ate with friends and family and some of the, some of land, some, a few landmark places. And I really just wanted to get comfortable with, you know, I have, with those drives and being in the country, I have a cousin who lives in um, Montgomery and he would drive his family my uncle and his family would drive from Montgomery, Alabama to Waynesboro, Georgia, have dinner, turn around and drive back. So it's sort of like, how do you not fall asleep on the road? Like how, how, how is this a part of your life? And I think a lot of that is very Southern to me. Like a lot of towns are far apart. Did you drive as a New Yorker? Did you know how to drive? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've been driving since 16. Okay. Yeah. Because it's funny because like I I like have a friend, you know, in her like 30s learning to drive right now because she was a New Yorker. Another friend learned in his 40s. Mm. We're outer borough kids. Oh, okay. Yeah. I grew up in Queens. Queens. Okay. So you know, right. Okay. Gotcha. Two pair zones. Exactly. We didn't even have zones. We, Staten Island was just over there. <laughs> We're not even connected to the public transportation. Right. Okay. I just figured I would yeah. ask because I know that's a culture shift yeah. moving from New York to Savannah, which is very, very Southern and Southern in, in some particular ways, too, because, you know, before you were there, I associated, I've only been there once, mm-hmm. and I was uh, going to Palmetto Bluff for, like, a, a press thing, mm-hmm. but I was like, where should I eat? And everybody was like, well, there's just Paula Deen places, so that was my association, and I thought, I will pick some things up and cook, <laughs> <laughs> and I just couldn't, yeah. <laughs> but it didn't. So that was sort of the food identity, of, at least from an outsider's perspective, very much. So that's interesting because I think when we were 
trying to figure out the food and I would refer to Southern food, that was the food that Jono thought about too. Yeah, yeah I had He immediately thought, either. he was sort of like, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't. I'm the, like, I'll pick something This isn't the, <laughs> right, this isn't the avenue I, we should be going down yeah. as a partnership. And um, just cooking and inserting my training and background yeah. into recipes and re reinventing them sort of lightened it up and, and gave it a new identity, I think. Can we talk a little bit about what your food is? Because, you know, I know the, f the food at at Prune, and I know that you had spent a lot of time in, in France mm -hmm. and were super mm -hmm. influenced um, by that. So what is, so to that point, mm -hmm. what was your, your, your voice and, and your, what was your love? My, my love, my love is Italian food, mm. honestly. And um, the food that I grew up on, food that my grandmothers cooked, living and working in Savannah and having this restaurant in Savannah, we really have a great opportunity to pull from a lot yeah. of European cities. So we describe the food as Port City Southern. Oh, where I love you that. can add you can pull we can pull from Italy, we yeah, can pull from France. It's just a way France. to give ourselves like complete <laughs> right. exactly. to do whatever we yeah, want. Because if you paint yeah. yourself into a corner, mm -hmm. people are gonna really, yeah. really expect So we that. just widen the scope a little bit. Yeah. I love that like the, the places like, you know, Charleston has sort of a diaspora of of flavors that come in there because it very much is a port city. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a beautiful thing about mm -hmm. New York, obviously. Mm -hmm. And if you come from the Bronx and Queens, like exactly. you can everything is on the menu. There is yeah. nothing that that isn't. So you're coming together on your menu, and I, I read something about how you sent it to Gabrielle, and it was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about that for a second. Well, we, you know, before, once Jono and I really decided, we decided to bring this, to go into business together, mm -hmm. we went to Italy. And oh. we took a road. He can describe yeah. the road trip a lot better than I can. <laughs> but we went to Italy for about I'm two. Sophia Loren Garb on for about, <laughs> A little bit. For, a about little two, like for about two weeks. And when we came back, I got in the car and I drove to Savannah in a mm -hmm. zigzaggy way. And so I, that was the first menu, which yeah. didn't have really, it just had something to do with me for the past month. But it didn't have anything mm -hmm. to do with me at all. Um, so I was bringing nothing to it. I was just sort of pulling from all these different places that I've seen. And because of that, it wasn't cohesive. Mm -hmm. And so she was just like, I, this food is everywhere and I don't understand it. And um, that's my feedback. And so I looked at it and I was nervous and shaking and I cut it down by half and I started doing a lot more research in the region. I started paying attention to what was local, what was coming out of the water, what was growing, um, started talking to farmers, started talking to different business owners, small business owners and purveyors in, in the city, and really got to learn a little bit about more about the history of food in Savannah. Mm -hmm. And that's when that Port City Southern aspect of it really started to come to light. And I think that's when, I think that's when Misham and I really started to have a relationship, and it was contentious during that time. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's talk about the structure of a partnership. It's as tough as a marriage. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it requires as much attention as a marriage, mm -hmm. and in a way, it shares a lot of the similarities of you know the arc of a relationship. You know, um, but when we started, when we really got, when Mashama really got into the menu part of this. And my love is also Italian food and French food and Mishama's food and Gabrielle's food. And like those are the kind of places like that I obsess about. I obsess about eating at the Gray now. I, when I come to New York, I always want to eat at Prune or mm -hmm. Via Carota or King or these places that are making, you know, this kind of really – Personal, you just, and you just named a lot of female chef yeah. places, and, and, I, and I did not do that purposely, actually. But, <laughs> but it's funny like, that you just makes, said, yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and um, and but at that time, like I was really reacting to you know being a person who was living in Savannah part time, didn't have the kind of food that I love to eat, and in a way, I wanted the gray to sort of fill that hole. And so when Mishama was talking about the food of her grandmothers and Southern food, I was immediately going, you know, Paula Deen, heavy on the fat content, you know, mm -hmm. really weighty food. And, you know, that's not how I like to eat. And we had like, there was definitely a lot of like sort of very polite 
disagreeing because we didn't know each other well yeah. enough to the way we can disagree now, which is without the pomp and circumstance of a new relationship and mm -hmm. just, you know, get to the point so that we can get on with our day. But back then it was a little more of a dance and a little more of, you know, I kind of want to say this, but I'm going to say this. And it took, it took a couple of years, I think, to get through all mm -hmm. of that. But that menu development was the beginning of all of that. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of maintenance, these kind of relationships, too. I've talked to, you know, restaurant partners and stuff who've gone to couples counseling together who have done all these things. Is there anything you ritualize, like, in your partnership? Do you go on a walk? Do you just have meetings? Do you go and have drinks? What is what is it? Because, you know, this, is, this uh, podcast is part of Food & Wine Pro, so we're telling people who are looking to get into the business, how do you do this? And we talk about partnership a lot. I think for us, the easiest way to communicate is over alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> What's the drink? <laughs> it varies. Yeah, yeah, it does. It depends on the day. It depends on how early or late in the day it is. But I think that um, we're both such hard workers. Mm -hmm. uh, he's always busy. I'm always busy. And sometimes we miss each other. And we were doing that for a while. Yeah, and we had a Tuesday morning yeah, meeting at 11, which is just since January has just fallen off. Right. We haven't done it for six months, but we, but, but I think that that's how we kind of work through things because something will happen and, you know, we'll need to talk about something and then we'll either write an agenda and, and, and make a meeting for it or we'll just talk I, over I mean, drinks or dinner. Yeah. I would, you know, if I were advising somebody who was getting into a new partnership, I would say don't wait for the formal meeting. Don't wait for the Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock or whether or not I'm still going to be in the restaurant when Mishama finishes expoing or if she's going to get to the restaurant early enough that the day hasn't started and I'm there early or just always feed back to each other and don't let things sit. I mean, I think that one of the things we've gotten very good at is we we're never surprised by something the other person knows because we just immediately, even if it's like a text, hey, yeah. I just talked to this person and just want to give you a heads up. And we've gotten really, really good at that because in the beginning when you're building a relationship and every relationship is ultimately, if it's trusting, it's strong. And in the beginning when you forget to tell somebody something or you do something and you neglect to mention that you did it and maybe it impacts something in their world, you know, in our restaurant, everything impacts Misham and me. We collaborate. There's nothing we don't collaborate on. Um, and in the beginning or in those first couple of years, if you forget to say something, there's always that, oh, did he not tell me that for a reason? Yeah. Or, or did she kind of deal with that on her own because she didn't want me involved? Um, and now that never, it never happens. And I kind of made a mistake a couple of weeks ago and went into the kitchen and yelled at the kitchen during service, which I never do. And we were at the James Beards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were at the we were at the awards, Ooh. and we were talking about it. And she's like, "Yeah, they thought you were kind of an asshole last night because wow. you had had a few drinks at the table, and you came into the kitchen and you yelled at them." And I'm like, "You know what? Fair point." And mm -hmm. got back from the James Beard Awards, and the first thing I did was go into the kitchen and apologize to them because they were right and Misham was right. And I don't think two or three years ago she would have said that to me. I yeah. think that would have festered, you yeah. know. I mean, love is being able to say, I think you were an asshole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is. So you have this communication between the two of you, and it's time to start staffing up and setting a culture, staffing up. And that's a new thing for both, both of, of you. Us. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about that procedure. How do you get your team in place when you're in a city where you don't necessarily have ties? Mm. How do you do that? That was hard because it's funny because Jono automatically thought that cooks would be lining up at the door <laughs> to work with me. And I kept saying to him, no one knows who I am. You know, I'm like, just no one knows. I was right. I was just four and a half years old. <laughs> Everybody knows yeah. now on this chef's table. You see, you should have just listened to me from the beginning. And so that was hard. So it was hard to instill that culture in the right. back, and it was hard to instill that culture in the front. But we hired a service, um, a service director, um, I don't know if that's the proper title. Service director? Well, his, his title was okay. service director, yeah. Um, his name is Brian Chan, and he really kind of came in and had this vision. And we were like, 
okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> this is a we good vision. We saw him last week at the Grand <laughs> show, and it was like we hadn't seen him in a while, and it's like, you know, he was he. We couldn't have done it without him, um, and he was like one of the most loved, beloved, and, and loved hated. figures. Yeah, in totally. there. No, he's a great guy, but he was just like. You know, he laid down the law for a year, and that's a hard spot to be in. And yeah. I, have you know, mean daddy. endless <laughs> respect for him for doing it because we yeah. had no clue what we were doing. Yeah, it was we wouldn't have been able to keep a run a tight ship so early on, yeah. and he helped build a lot of it the, the the employee handbook and the steps to service and all that stuff that we would not have been such sticklers on, mm-hmm. or we would have had a lot more growing pains right. trying to develop. He just kind of jumped in and took care of all of that, and he had his own growing pains within that and um you know he just kind of came and gave it his all and i think that if if it wasn't for that trio of coming together and opening that space in the first year you know i don't i don't know you know it'd be a lot different it would have been harder Mm -hmm. and it was hard it was hard anyway yeah Yeah. it's hard no matter yeah Yeah. no matter what But one of the things we focused on from the beginning and this came from my life like sort of doing startups and you know media and the arts is It was always all about culture, Mm -hmm. right? It was everything operational was secondary to the culture that we were building at the gray, right? So, you know, our primary thing is team first. You always support each other, right? And we started from the first day, like, and every pre-service, you know, every kitchen lineup, we talk about these tenants of why we're doing what we're doing and who we're doing it for. And it's for each other. And if we take care of each other, we will build a restaurant that people respect. We will be res- we will have the the sort of respect of our peers, not to keep using the same word. And the guests will get taken care of just out of the fact that we're looking out for each other. You can feel it in the dining room yeah. how you know what is set up there, what is in place. You can feel the tenor uh, of that as a diner. I mean, the service can be technically perfect, but if there isn't that thing there, mm. like, yeah. you can feel it. You can feel the tensions yeah. and all of all of yeah. that. Yeah, and Mishama said that to me early on because um, she said, you know, we, we had this thing when we were getting set up that we would only bring people onto the team that we would have Thanksgiving dinner with. <gasps> Because we were, we actually, the first service we ever held at the Gray was the Thanksgiving dinner the month before we opened for everybody who was on the team. And that's become a tradition at the Gray. So each year, everybody and their families comes and we do like, it's up to like 100 people now. But Mishama said to me, you know, we need people that we like to be around. And, you know, I was very much straight business guy at that point. I'm like, that's really lovely, but it doesn't <laughs> always work out that way. And she's like, Jono, if it doesn't work out that way, then our guests are going to feel the tension mm-hmm. in the dining room of a team that doesn't gel. And we don't deliver perfect service, and our food is not always perfect, yeah. but our guests always feel like we're looking out for them and trying really, really hard to deliver them a really complete experience. Yeah, I and... You know, you can absolutely feel that. And I, I, by the way, everything I've ever heard about the restaurant, I am ashamed that I have not been there, but I will be, hopefully soon. Um, they, <laughs> I know, I'm like booking my tickets now. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing that you've really prioritized is being in sync with the community, that that you are of a place, that y- it was really important to you to uh, recognize where you are and who the people are who are coming in there and really being um, like a touchstone, a really that that's central place of it and then and the people who are going to be your regulars there's going to be a lot of tourists through um through savannah and i would definitely say y'all are a a draw now and Mm -hmm. a destination kind of place but how what are the measures that you took to make sure that you were you were part of the place that you were building this this life we've had a few you know natural disasters come through savannah and with that we sort of rally and, and take care of each other. And Jono is from a background of firefighters and police officers and first responders. And I think that that really is like his bleeding heart. He just wants to make sure that he's there and for every, even at the restaurant, he's, he's, what do you need? And let's talk. And he's always willing to listen. Like one of our uh, staff members are just going through a real tough time right now. And he, um, had a burger with him last night, you know, just to sort of like check in with him and see how he's going and see how we can help him. And I think that that just bleeds out into into the community. Um, 
it's a small restaurant community in Savannah, and a lot of us get along, and, and some of us don't. But the ones that get along really like being around each other. It's really like the very same principles, and they, and they treat their staff very similarly. And whatever we can do to support each other is just we're just there. Yeah, I think that, you know, we, we tried hard. We, we try hard to do community outreach, right? We partner up with local philanthropic organizations and we host things for them in the restaurant and you know we contribute um, you know proceeds to all that and in a meaningful way I don't mean to dismiss it but what Misham was talking about I think when it really started to click for our team we had the first, first we all Matthew, live in was it Hurricane yeah, we Matthew? all live in Savannah because apparently there are no hurricanes except for the last four years and they're every <laughs> single year and multiple times you a year. brought them I still <laughs> no, like, yeah no yeah. it's crazy and the first year we had a hurricane or the threat of one, Mishama and I were in Spain on a food eating trip. Like we try and go away once a year. And again, to, yeah. you poor babies. Yeah. <laughs> well, we just try and like it, the, in New York City, it's easy to be inspired I by the, other people's food. So like we try and go away. I'm just trying to justify. No, um, no it's but, awesome. No, yeah. this is it's part of the yeah. business. I'm saying I'm like, this for and you. We so, haven't been away. Yeah, I know. No, it's, like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's part of your business. Yeah. Then you have to yeah. remain inspired. But I'm we, joking. And the, the – um, there was a hurricane, and or it was coming, and you know I, I was talking to the management team. And I remember we were sitting on a bench in some park, and I'm like, "Listen, you have to get the place open tomorrow. Like the hurricane hits tonight, we have to be open to, unless it's wrecked. We have to be open tomorrow. Well, why? Well, why? Because we are we provide a service to the community, and that service is nourishment and a meeting place and solace." And I always go back to my own experience. My wife and I lived downtown when 9-11 mm -hmm. happened, and we were displaced. And when we got back to our neighborhood, there was one bar that was open, Irish pub, you know, um, burger and beer joint. And that was our local bar, coincidentally. And as they let people back into the neighborhood, the entire neighborhood converged on this one place. And we went there every night for the next six months yeah. to heal each other, to help each other, you know, cope with, you know, I had come from a cop and fireman family and been in the white collar world. Like I knew dozens of people personally yeah. who were killed in this thing. And so I, I tried to convey that to the team from um, Barcelona and it wasn't effective, right? They were like, literally the rumors were, I was just interested in making money. We yeah. were just interested in yeah. making money. I'm like, guys, then you don't understand the restaurant business because the way to make money is to keep it closed and not pay all of you until we can get it open for good. And I respect the fact that everybody had suspicions and questions about that because, again, we're building a relationship with the team. Luckily, the next year, we had another hurricane. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and we were there for that one. I wasn't there. Yeah, actually, I was in Atlanta. You I was bastard. doing chef. <laughs> I was doing chef conference, yeah. and I didn't want to go to Atlanta. I know, you know, yeah, I remember. And I, I ended up going to Atlanta, and the hurricane oh. literally went through it Atlanta. Went Atlanta <laughs> oh my yeah. god, so you, you drew it. <laughs> but we got that restaurant open. We never shut, and wow. we fed everybody. We used because we were the only restaurant downtown, or one of the only ones. There's that fought hard to stay. Again, I'm not being dismissive to other restaurants. We were, I was hell-bent on keeping that place open. And that first day that we were open and we were the only place and everybody flooded in, everybody on the team saw it. Mm -hmm. And they saw what it was about and that it wasn't, it had nothing to do with money. It had nothing to do with being better or stronger or faster than anybody else. All it had to do was about providing solace to the people in our community. And that's where community service, you know, clicks for everybody. And they got it. It got it in one. That is huge. Yeah. And, and if it's okay to talk about this, um, you all weathered a loss of a team mm. member as well. And talk about solace. That's mm -hmm. really important there. Well, your, your take on that, on the gray as solace, is more um, developed than mine, I think. Really? Well, because you, you wrote so eloquently about it. Well, I just think that... Um, I don't really know what you're talking about. That speech but, you gave out in San Francisco. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. This, and you see, now you've just witnessed the relationship. It's, uh, that She's like, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you, don't know like, you, you don't know me. You don't know me. Better than you think. <laughs> um, yes, we lost um, someone who was really just a shining light 
not only at the Gray, but also in Savannah. He was known at, in everywhere, every restaurant, downtown restaurant. Really just a great, great, great guy. Give and us his name. His name is Scott Waldrop. And he is, um, he was our uh, general manager. He had just been promoted to general manager right before he was killed. And um, he just, he was the one that, he was the one that would say no in the room, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. the most probably, because he had a very specific way of wanting to live his life. And that really kind of taught us to just listen to each other and be open with each other. And just, you know, the staff loves him. And I think that the staff members who have who were at the gray when he was there and that are still at the gray now we're forever bonded in this way that um was painful and now i think it brings us a lot of joy yeah and just for people who don't know the backstory of, um, of how he died well he was struck by a, a car evading a, a um, crime scene um right on bay street on fourth of july yeah yeah and I got the sense that your your team really and the community really like you were always people who took care of the community and the community came right. to. So the day after you. the day he was um, killed, you know, twelve uh, thirty in the morning, and later that afternoon we all just showed up at the restaurant and we just kind of cried and hugged and. Everyone brought food. So many restaurants brought food and flowers and just well wishes and came by and, and just okay. for support. It was a memorial service. Uh, we, we did like the southern version of like restaurant Shiva. And we opened yep. up the restaurant <laughs> to the community and we just put a Facebook post up and said, we'll be closed for the next few days. But if you want to come and cry, you know, come. And I mean, the community came by the hundreds that day Mm -hmm. and all of our distributors brought you know wine and all the restaurants brought food and you know it just was it was beautiful it was beautiful Mm um it was yeah it was it was something it was something it was something Yeah. yeah And I know that you both also uh keep the spirit of somebody alive who is um you know, I obviously not ever got to meet her, but the great Edna Lewis, <laughs> who uh, I, I just every syllable I read, every recipe <laughs> I cook, every single thing um, about her just is 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 magic to me. And the two of you I work uh, to keep her memory alive. We're on the board. We're on the Edna Lewis Foundation board. I am the chairwoman, and John is the treasurer. We've been doing it. But four years, four years, now, four yeah. years now. Um, it's great. We've just expanded the board a little bit. We have a board meeting on Monday. Actually, mm-hmm. we have Here we have one. Um, last year, we did a, a sort of like offsite, or I don't know if it's offsite because we yeah. call in every month. But we did an offsite board meeting, and it was really successful. So once a year, we're trying to do an offsite meeting, and um, it just happens to be this coming Monday. And it's really awesome because I love her so much and I never got to meet her, but I just think that she was a boss and really the epitome of what I love about Southern food. And I just take inspiration from her every day and I feel very lucky to be um, on the board really and represent her in that way. You evoked her the night that you won the mm-hmm. James Beard Award. She's taught me all my tricks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> her and Gabrielle. Yeah. I, I feel like we are, because I know they're republishing mm-hmm. uh, things, and, and I, I feel like, can we move into a phase of more appreciation of, of Edna Lewis and everything she got? I want to see sort of like the family tree of everybody who came out of yeah. I know. That would be really interesting because, you know, there's a lot of Julia Child, mm-hmm. and I would like to see who came out of Edna Lewis because they they were sort of neck and neck. The there's, time. there's definitely an interesting thing going on right now, though, right? Um, with her books being republished, mm-hmm. Mishama just wrote the forward. Um, yes, you did. To, to <laughs> yeah, country I did. Cooking. But also, I was in an airport a few weeks ago, and one of Mishama's favorite authors, who she's had me read is Zara Neale Hurston, mm-hmm. who is now just being republished. Yeah. And her yeah. book was literally at an airport, you know, Hudson News, you know, front and center. So there's something going on with the South and Geechee Gullah culture and... And black women. Yeah, and mm-hmm. black women. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's... um, 
That's that's cool. Well, we're all going to a gala tonight at MoFAD, which yes. is kicking off uh, basically a year-long presentation uh, that is going to be happening about the history of black food in America. Awesome. And I think we'll be celebrating everybody there. But uh, I was getting the wrap-it-up sign from our producer, but I want to ask you about your book. That was book. an hour? I know. What? But I want to ask you about your book. That is, uh, what is the, the title is pretty great. I'm not, I'm not ready to talk about the book yet. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't even talk to me about they the book. They had this look of pain uh, no. when they came in here, like, it's really becoming real. It's so real. I'm it's like, so just real. don't talk to me. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's no. Writing a book, as a, it is a horrible thing to do to yourself. It's horrible. I lived through it myself. Yeah. You have all of my sympathies. I'm going to actually forward you an email that a friend sends around to first-time authors about, like, how to maintain your sanity. How to, how, yeah, exactly. <laughs> how to the whole thing. be not suicidal. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, the name of the book is Black, White, and the Gray. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um, it's just a narrative nonfiction story of really. I mean, to me, it's like a a courtship story between Mishama and me, and how you know we faced each other and the challenges of opening this new business as kind of carpetbaggers from New York City and all of the inherent biases at least I brought to our relationship. You know, as a white kid from Staten Island and. Um, and, you know, having to confront those challenges and with someone that is new to you and then you end up, you know, in this intimate and, you know, awesome relationship with. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not I'm not She's ready not to talk about, about <laughs> I will respect this because it's uh yeah it's it's I'm uh, still working on my yeah, part. Mashama has it's, more she has more writing left to do all, than I like, do. He's all like he's all glowing and like ready like he's walked yeah. through this fire and I'm just sort of like I delivered yeah. I delivered I my burns. part like in January. I, yeah. Oh my gosh, I will tell you like it, I don't know if you have a therapist or not but double up on the appointments no. do the, the all of the things. it's it's like get a book doula or something like that. To, <laughs> and be kind with yourself uh, during the the process of this because it's um, you know it's scary stuff. But yeah. just having gotten to spend some time with you today, I, I feel like it's going to be like spending time with you. And uh, do you know when the pub date is? Yeah, it's or? um it's the end of it. It's January January right at the end of January 2020. So it's actually soon. <gasps> yeah. Wow, yeah, I exactly. had expected you to say like 2021. No, no. <gasps> wow. Okay, mm. that soon. I can't they even believe it. Up. Is that good? Oh yeah, that I means they want to get it out yeah, there in yeah. the world. I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> just so you only don't worry, just, Lorena. Just, she's writing. <laughs> I'll just say from my experience, like dates change all the time. You I don't think really, so. Really, I think they want to make it August. If they can make it August 2019, oh they would. Mine came out a week after the election, so that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> but this, I, I, I'm so excited for it, and just like watching the the clear respect and affection that the two of you have for each other and the work you've put into the relationship and stuff. I'm I'm ridiculously excited about this. Thank you. Thank and you. now I have some questions for you that I ask everybody. Ooh. And you can each answer them. Um, and maybe take turns because like, so somebody gets the thinking time on this mm -hmm. one. Um, so you've put all this work into, you know, the relationship, the community, all this kind of stuff. What is, and I believe in the power of saying something you want out loud. Mm. It's using the secret, using the, <laughs> all that kind of stuff, dear Oprah. Like, what is, what is this thing? What is the selfish thing you want for yourself? I want more personal time. I want a week alone in France. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's simple. Yeah. Is this, this is something that hopefully will come. Once, you're, once you turn in your I've already cleared it with my wife, so I'm <laughs> feeling good about it. This summer, I will spend a week by myself in France. That is beautiful. What does personal time look like for you? Just, um, I don't know, like alone with my own thoughts, I guess. And you your know? dog? And my dog. Yeah, yeah of course. Your greyhound. <laughs> I don't is... even want the dogs with me. <laughs> oh, now you know you mean it. No, I mean it. <laughs> I get to a day or two and I miss yeah. the dog. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So dear universe, when all this happens, leave them the hell alone <laughs> and just let them have this and like let them not have their cell phones or whatever it yeah. is. So each of you, what is your comfort food? Pasta. Pasta for me, any kind of pasta. Mm. Bellatos, you know Bellatos on Houston Street. I do not. Bellatos between Houston on Houston between Mott and Mulberry. That's my Good comfort block. food. Yeah. My comfort food is like Chinese takeout, like New York style. Mm -hmm. Is yeah. there a particular place? 
Um, there's a little place in Queens that I like, and it's just like we used to get it every Friday night, um, and it's in Kew Gardens. And so um, that's my comfort food. What's your order? My order is usually either I get um, like a shrimp and broccoli situation or orange I get chicken <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I really like egg foo young, but my dad that loves it. Me. I know. <laughs> my dad loves it, and he judges each place by wow. their egg we foo young. We went to eat Chinese food, and we were in New York City a few weeks ago, and we went to Wo Hop, which is down Oh, yeah, Hill. yeah. Pretty late night, mm-hmm. and she ordered egg foo young, and I was just, I was totally like surprised by that order. It's like gravy and <laughs> you know, know yeah. rice and gravy. Yeah. Have you ever had that thing called the the St. Paul sandwich in St. Louis? Mm-hmm. Okay, about to change your life here. <laughs> it's a deep fried egg foo young patty on white bread <laughs> with I believe pickles and mayonnaise. Oh, nice. Yeah. I've I can see that like in my future. I was <laughs> snowed in once and had one of like oh it was like so deep fried. I it know it's like it probably up. gets behind your ears, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah, you can feel it in the back. Like, yeah, you're exactly right on that. But uh, maybe if you're passing through St. Louis, like, yeah. it's, it's a very particular yeah. thing. Um, what is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? Huh. Um, I made my grandmother's Sunday gravy for. Um, uh, no, for my wife's uh, birthday in December. And that might be the last time I cook, too, because we basically never leave the restaurant. Um, yeah. And um, and that was emotional. Yeah. yeah. And you said the gravy. Yeah, so. it's the gravy. <laughs> it's the gravy. It stirred a very long yeah. time. Boy, <laughs> I'm so not good at stuff like this. <laughs> I'll think of something, like, tomorrow. Yeah. Right. You know, people have been known to, like, text me later. And yeah. <laughs> and just tell like, me just add this in. Yeah, I gotta have one. I I can't think of I can't think of anything. I have a feeling that the meal tonight is going to be pretty emotional <laughs> for a whole lot I of hope people. So. With this, I'm ex- I'm so excited. Collection of chefs, yeah, cause like uh, Kwame Onwachi, who is it? People who listen to the podcast know him very well. Yes, <laughs> is uh, cooking tonight. I'm trying to. Oh gosh, um, Ed Mitchell and his son are cooking. It's going to mm-hmm. be spectacular. Yeah. I love his barbecue above all others. <coughs> it's going to be really great. So I'm going to be looking over at you and seeing <laughs> if you get emotional. Um, what is, and I ask this question because nobody cooks for chefs or restaurant people, what is the last meal that somebody cooked for you in their home? Mm. My mom cooked, um, she cooked for me, um, she came to visit me, I had some surgery at the beginning of the year and she cooked for me basically every night of the week and she made roast chicken and we were doing this thing and she made like this non-carb thing so cauliflower <laughs> rice oh, <gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> roasted chicken some sauteed vegetables and it was just nice to sit on the couch and have someone take care of me so and how are you feeling great good yeah i'm so glad to hear it thank you um i can't recall but i will <laughs> say I, I will answer your answer i will answer your question with a non-answer Misham and I will eat anything. Like, ah, we're not, <laughs> we're that. so not particular about food, and we like most foods, regardless mm-hmm. of who cooks it. You know, yeah. it's like, we're just, it's like, yeah, this is good. You know, yeah, I don't, want, like, anyone, oh, I don't, wanna, you know, I don't, don't want, want anyone to feel like they can't cook yeah. for me, you know? Actually, Jackie Mason went to Jackie She's Mason's cook, house, yeah. and she made this Swedish, she made this sort of like goulash and had a bunch of us over, and that was fun. Yeah. It was fun to go to someone's house and sit and drink and eat and not have to do the dishes. Yeah. Oh, that's such a nice thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. What living musician would you want to cook for, and what would you cook for them? And this is also, an, we're saying it out to the universe, so these people come into the gray or your house. Donna, you Well, somebody, she knows <laughs> I know the answer. <laughs> um, somebody asked me the other day, like, who is, the, who is the one person you would want to come into the gray that hasn't been there? And it's easy for me, Bruce Springsteen, you know? You are not the first person to invoke yeah. Springsteen. <laughs> I mean, you know, I grew up chasing him around the Jersey Shore mm-hmm. um, and had the opportunity to stand next to him one night at a concert and was so tongue, tongue-tied that I literally couldn't say, and it was just me and him standing next to each other. <gasps> and I couldn't say a word to him. And I regret that so much because I have so much to ask him. Yeah. And um, yes, I would want him to come to the gray and I would want him to eat lettuces and chicken country captain. 
I love Country yeah, Captain. Oh, would my be. God, I love it. So and if I were going to cook for my cook of my grandmother's Sunday gravy, because oh, <laughs> oh that's God. now my go-to. That's beautiful. You really thought about this. No, I didn't. <laughs> this is all. I'm just, I'm, I'm just free-forming now. I love it. I guess the obvious answer would be Beyonce. <gasps> okay. <laughs> like so many people have said. And I only know but one person who has cooked for Beyonce. I just, I mean, I feel like she gets, she, I feel like the girl will eat. You yes. know, and I wouldn't have to be shy about what I wanted to feed her. Right. Um, and I think that, yeah, I would probably do like some oxtails or something like that. Oxtails and rice and, you know, maybe chicken and dumplings or something. She's yeah. a good restaurant goer, though. Mm-hmm. Like the two of them really show up yeah. at, at restaurants. I and think they get down. So they, as I can tell from Kelly Fields, has cooked for her and mm-hmm. said yes. And in fact, like packed up the SUV with everything they weren't able to eat because word went out that Beyonce was in the restaurant and everybody's pressed against the window. I know. That <laughs> so sucks. I, yeah. I, I want to see Macy Gray at the Gray. Nice. <laughs> oh, I, I like that. Macy Gray. Yeah, I think that would be lovely. Macy too. Gray petting a greyhound at the gray. <laughs> <laughs> That's so far beyond alliteration. And like have uh, Grey Coon says the guest show. <laughs> like, like, it's just all the things. Just all the things. We'll call it all gray the grays, area. Shades of gray. Everything. Um, oh my gosh, that could go all kinds of different places. <laughs> What's her name is like doing a reading in the corner. It's all things. Um, you each have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care. What do you do? Oh, I'm at a Korean spa with no mm-hmm. with no time. What is your procedure? I soak in the bath. I soak in the hot tub. Then I go in the cold tub, and then I go back in the hot tub because that's basically <laughs> what you do at a Korean spa. Like that. <laughs> um, I go for a run. <laughs> Definitely. What do you listen to? I don't. Oh no, I I stopped listening to music running about ten years ago because mm-hmm. it's when. You know, I, I'm an accountant by trade, and so I've become more of a creative person over the entire course of my career, and that's when I do my most creative thinking when I'm out running. Yeah. 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 And I just, I can't thank you enough for coming in here. I've wanted to, you know, sit down with both of you for a long time, and I was so excited. I was so fangirly at you last <laughs> week. I hope it was okay. But thank you so much for, in the middle of book deadline, coming in and talking uh, with us and, and sharing your, you know, this your, has been fun. your relationship. Yeah, this super fun. So fun. Yeah. And I want everybody to go to Savannah, go to the Gray, go to the Gray Market and pick up yourself some rolling papers, some condoms. Yeah. Some <laughs> eat the <laughs> cheeseburger at the Gray Market. It's fine. It's, I mean, even just this little box you sent me was fantastic. I have the matches in my bag right now. So, Michelle Bailey and uh, John Marsano, thank you so, so much for your time. And everybody, look out for Black, White, and Gray when it comes out in January. Thank you, Kat. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much to our producers, Jennifer Martinick and Alicia Cabral. Thank you to Douglas Wagner for our delightful theme song. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, write review, or rate us because that really, really does help and helps more people listen to this podcast which we want to keep on doing if there is something you'd like for us to talk about or a guest you'd like to hear from please let us know you can reach out to me on twitter at kitten with a whip find out more about the show and catch up on all the episodes at foodandwine.com and foodandwine's youtube page thanks for listening and take good care of yourself till the next time 